Well, I want to welcome you to East Hazel Baptist Church, all you that are watching online, and we have uh, several people in the parking lot with us again this Sunday. Just a quick update on how our services are going to go from now on. We're going to make a decision, um, the deacons and myself, probably Wednesday or Thursday, and as soon as that decision is made about in-person services, we'll uh, uh, post it on our Facebook page. We'll also do a phone tree, so please be listening for that. Um, I would, I would probably say that last week's closure of this church is probably one of the best decisions that our church for the safety of our church has ever made and I know I've had a lot of people to call me and text me about why did we do that and um, uh, just just I told you when we first came back inside last Father's Day that you just have to trust your church's leadership because we know things that you don't know uh, as far as what's going on inside the church and I really appreciate your trust in us. So if we don't have church next Sunday, you can still come to the parking lot. You also can watch it online. You can watch it online Sunday. You can watch it online two weeks from now if you want to. If we do have church um, next Sunday and you don't feel comfortable, you can watch it online and you can meet in the parking lot. God has blessed us with a humongous building. There's probably, I don't know, seven to eight feet in between the rows in here, and we can still seat about 600 people. Uh, of course, we've not had that much since uh, since we've been back inside, especially during the summer, but you can come to this church and be safe if you want to. And I would encourage you to keep your distance while you're here. Do that when you're out in public as well. But, uh, but just please be mindful that we are in a pandemic, and we're just trying to do the best we can. I think our church has done great during this time. I think you can look back since March. We were one of the first churches to go... Uh, to the parking lot and um, um, since that time I think the decisions we've made have been good uh, nobody has been here before so we're just trying the best that we can to show a little grace there's no reason to call me text me write me or email me with your opinion because I really don't care because <laughs> we're trying to make the best decisions that we can we love you and um, and we're just trying to do the best I would encourage you to continue to pray for our county uh, a lot of cases are are happening right now so we need to be mindful of that and keep yourself safe and keep yourself protected and, and pray to the Lord about how you need to do that. And, um, uh, but just, just please trust your leadership when it comes to things like this because this is new ground for everybody and we're just trying to do the best that we can. All right, let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, for the opportunity 
Lord, for people to come to this church and be in the parking lot. Father, for folks literally all over to watch it online, from wherever they are in America, really, they can watch it online or anywhere. Lord, we're just so thankful that we have that type of technology. Lord, I want to thank you that we have an extremely large building. Uh, Lord, I, I would feel safer in here than I do at Walmart. And Lord, I just want to thank you for how you've blessed our church and given us these facilities. Father, I lift up those that are sick. Lord, I know many, uh, Lord, all across the county, because, Lord, living in a small, small town, you just know everybody. And, Lord, my heart goes out to them. I pray for their health. I pray for recovery. Lord, uh, I pray for our nation. Lord, as leadership and, Lord, the medical community uh, is faced with this, something that, that they've never been faced with either in trying to make the right decisions. And, Lord, uh, I just pray that you would be honored and glorified through this service this morning. I want to thank you for Caitlin willingness to come and sing and pray that you'd bless her as she sings another song father in jesus name i pray amen
Thank you, Kaylin. What a blessing. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm chapter 27. We're going to focus in on one verse. We'll read the first four verses, but we're going to focus in on one verse. And while you're finding that place in your Bibles at home, I just want to mention that 
uh, we had a barbecue plan for next week. Of course, that's going to be canceled until probably September sometime. Also, the survey that we're planning to do, that's going to be postponed till survey, I mean, until September, uh, uh, one of the Sundays in September. And also, we have a business meeting planned for August 22nd. If we can have that, we will. If not, we'll just postpone that till uh, one day in uh, September. None of those things have to be done. Uh, we uh, consider the safety of our church of utmost importance, so we'll make that decision once again uh, Wednesday or Thursday and pray for us as we make that decision. When you think about David, we've been looking at the life of David. And when we first started this study, when I first started this study, I talked about how David was Israel's greatest king, greatest poet, greatest warrior, greatest king, greatest repenter. And what I told you during that sermon was, as we look at the life of David, we'll look at 1 Samuel, some in 2 Samuel. We'll also look at the Psalms because the Psalms, David wrote those while he was going through good times, bad times, times when he sinned, times when people sinned against him. And this psalm, nobody knows exactly when it was written, but we do know that David was kind of hounded and in exile because the first three verses tell us that. Verse 1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We know he's being hunted. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. And that's what we're going to look at, what he's confident in here in just a moment. The one thing that he was confident in. David had a trouble-free life until God called him to be the king. David's life was fine. He was a shepherd. He was kind of by himself. He was tending the sheep, and then God had a plan for his life. David's life was never peaceful again after that. And if you want to be, have a troubled-free life, don't serve the Lord. Especially, don't be in leadership. Because all leaders take arrows in the back. And that was David. Philip Johnson said this, The very first verse gathers up all of David's troubles, looks them square in the eye, and defies them all with a song of praise to God. It's a celebration of light in a world of darkness. It's a song of deliverance pinned on a sea of difficulties. And he goes on to say this, The best remedy for all of this life's trials and discouragements is worship. David, who suffered more than we could imagine, learned that worship is the best way through any trial. And verse 4 of Psalm 27, we're going to look at one verse today, and we're going to look at six Hebrew verbs. And I want to thank BibleStudyTools.com, BlueLetterBible.com, uh, PreceptAustin.com, and especially Mike Bagwell's pastor's page for a lot of uh, the information I got from here, especially the meanings of the, of the Hebrew words, how to pronounce those words, which I know I'll mess up, and also some references as well. But notice this, this one verse gives us the heart of David and shows us when we're going through trials, whether we create them or they're sent by God or other people are coming at us, that there's one thing that we should do. Notice this. Verse 1, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What an amazing verse. Six of these Hebrew words are going to show us how unbelievably uh, serious David took the worship of God at this point in his life. Notice the first word, and I think you'll be able to see it online. And on the, on the screen, it's Ehad is the word. And now notice the verse and how it goes. It's the very first verse there, or of verse 4, it's the very first part. One thing, notice that, one thing. That's David's one thing, and it was the Lord. 
One scholar said the opening word in Psalm 24-7 is ihad. It means a single thing, the main thing, the first thing. David wants to know God, to worship him in all his beauty. As a number, this word ihad appears in the fifth verse of the Bible. Genesis 1-5 says, And God called the light day, the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day, the ihad day. It's used in a limiting sense. In Genesis 27, 38, it appears this way. And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Ehad, you have just Ehad blessing, my father. Bless me even also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Only one blessing could be pronounced. David longs and hungers for his divine presence. And he kind of reminds me of Paul in Philippians 3, 14. Paul says this, This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. One thing. James told us that a double-minded life is worthless. James 1.8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways because he wants you to have a one thing, a focus. Concentrate, obsess on Jesus. The rich young ruler, Jesus said this, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Paul David Tripp, whom I quote often on Facebook, listen to what he says about this verse and this word, Ahad, and this thought of David, this one thing I've desired of the Lord. His one thing is it safety or vindication or victory. His one thing is it power, control, or retribution. Talking about David. No, even under personal duress, the one thing that David wishes for is to be in God's house taking in the grandeur and glory of the beauty of the Lord. This desire was designed to be central, the, the central motivating desire of every person created by God made in His image. That's how God made you to desire Him. And yet, on this side of the garden, it seems a statement that could only ever be made by a deeply devout human being. It does beg the question, what's your one thing? Now listen to this. What's the one thing that your heart craves? What's number one in your life? Number one, that you desire. The next word we're going to see, this word desire, is a, is a very important word. What is the one thing right now that your heart craves? What is the one thing that you think would change your life? What is the one thing that you look to for satisfaction, contentment, or peace? Because that is who is Lord of your life right now. That is what is Lord of your life right now. What is the one thing you would mourn having to live without? What is the one thing that keeps you awake at night? Now listen to this, the spiritual re reality for many of us is our one thing is not Jesus. Even in the church. And the danger in that reality is this, your one thing will control your heart, and whatever controls your heart will exercise inescapable influence over your words, choices, and actions. What's your one thing? What's the one thing you desire? What has first place in your life? Well, let me read what Mr. Tripp said again. And the danger in that reality is this. Your one thing will control your heart, and whatever controls your heart will exercise inescapable influence over your words, choices, and actions because you desire your one thing. You desire it. You spend your money on it. You spend your time on it. Your thoughts are on it. He goes on to say, your one thing will become that which shapes and directs your responses to the situations and relationships of your daily life. If the Lord isn't your one thing, the thing that is your one thing would be your functional Lord. Here's what you have to say to yourself when something is your one thing. Life has meaning and I have worth only if I have this one thing in my life. What is it? Be honest with yourself right now. 
Is it Jesus? If not, if not, your life will never be what God has intended for it to be. He goes on to say, you see, in every situation and relationship of your everyday life, there is, one, there is a one-thing war being fought on the turf of your heart. You and I are safe only when the Lord really is the one thing that commands our hearts and controls our actions. What is your one thing? So important. Notice the next Hebrew word. It's shaw. It's the word for desire. And notice the how it's used in the verse. One thing. David says, I have desired of the Lord. Look at that word, desired. What does that mean? David desired something of the Lord, something noble and holy. The word desire is, is, is the word to ask, to request. It literally could be trans, it's translated, Mike Bagwell says, to demand four times in the King James Version of the Scriptures. It means to beg. God is one thing he desires is to ask, to beg of the Lord. It's a continuous or ongoing action. David has longed for this quite a while, this intimacy with God. The first time this word, shaw, is used in the Bible, it concerns a woman, a godly woman. Listen to what Abraham's servant says, And I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? In Genesis 24, 47. David's using this word picture for his hunger for God, and hence that he's graduated or matured from all, some of his other desires. And we know that David had a lot of bad desires. He had good desires, but he had bad desires. He had issues with pride. He had issues with arrogance. He had issues with things. He had issues with females. Uh, it was, it's no reason to cover that up. He did. But what, right now in David's life, he has transferred from things that are physical and even sensual to things that are spiritual and things that are heavenly and things that are eternal. To the things you desire, ask God for, beg God for, seek after, think about, long for. Are they spiritual? Are they heavenly? Are they eternal? Do you love the, Jesus said this, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you're empty, if you're looking for satisfaction and contentment in this world, it'll never work. Notice what Jesus told the woman at the well. Jesus answered and said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus told this lady, you have a thirst of the world, but I'll give you something that will quench that thirst, and it'll be me. What do you desire? Notice the next word, Hebrew word, is bakash. And this word, notice how it's used in the scripture in, in verse 4, that I will seek. Look at the word seek. It means it's, it's almost like the word desire, but it takes it to another level. It means I crave something. I long for something. I'm begging for something. I have to have this thing. David used it in Psalm 37, 25 when he says this, I have seen the young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. That word begging. David is seeking God urgent, urgently. In our verse, it's an excessive and diligent, vigorous action and it implies being, it's almost like you're being hunted down. David understood what this word meant because Saul sought David. He hunted him down. He spent his whole life, 13, 14, 15 years, giving up his, not giving up his throne, but giving up the luxuries of, the, of his throne to go hunt David, seeking after him. David says, I am in a good way. That's a bad way to look at it. In a good way, I'm seeking after the Lord. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that I will seek 
that I will seek after, is what he's saying. David sought certain things during his lifetimes, but now he's seeking after the Lord. What are you seeking? What is your absolute goal on a daily basis? What do you get up and desire and long for? What's that one thing that you desire, that one thing that you seek, that you hunt after, that you beg God for? What is it? What is it? What do you seek? What, 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 makes, your, what makes your heart pound and the hair stand up on your arms because you just love it so much? That's what your Lord is. That's what you seek. That's what David's saying. This one thing I seek. Jeremiah 29, 13, the Lord speaking through him said this, And you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, what are you seeking? What are you seeking right now? Notice the fourth word, Yashab. Notice how it's used in the verse. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life. Dwell, and then it shows how long David wants to dwell, all the days of his life. The verb he utilizes here means to dwell in a permanent sense. To abide, to remain, to sit not to sojourn or temporarily reside, it means to be here. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And you think about David, he dwelt in a lot of places. He dwelt, he dwelt in, in, the, in the castle or whatever he lived in. He dwelt in the fields, he dwelt in caves, he dwelt everywhere. But none of these places did he find peace and real meaning to life. For those things, God's house to him was the place to be. David says, I seek to dwell in God's house. Psalm 92, 13 captures this idea. It says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Planted, stationary, fixed, unmovable. David also had this thought in Psalm 23, 6, one of the most famous psalms ever written, when he said this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell, that's the word, in the house of the Lord forever. David loved God's house. Jewish men were required to be at the Lord's house three times a year. The Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and the Tabernacles. Deuteronomy 16, 16 says this. Three times in a year shall all the males appear before the Lord, thy God, in the place which he, cho he has chosen, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And David says, no, I don't want to come three times. I want to come and stay forever. And I would say this, if a person does not desire God's house with God's people, they may not be saved. They certainly don't have what David has. You don't have a one thing, you don't have a desire, and you don't have a, a seeking like David did. The psalmist in Psalm 122.1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 84.1 says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for the joy of the living God, to the living God. Verse 4 of 84 says this, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And then verse 10 says this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. One of the things that David desired more than anything else in life was to go to God's house. They were so restricted back then. The one thing that David desired more than anything in life, you and I can do freely at any time. Never take for granted your church. Never take for granted meeting in person when we can do that again with your family. There, you, 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 can't do, you cannot experience, have that experience anywhere else on the planet. You can't. You can't experience that on the ball field. 
on the lake, on the golf course. You can have fun and do all those things and have uh, memories that you'll cherish for a lifetime, but you cannot have a worship experience like you can in your church home with church family. You cannot do it. So many people take advantage of that. And my prediction through this whole pandemic is, is that a lot of people will substitute online worship for in-person worship, and you'll miss out on the one thing that David desired. You'll miss out on it. And I want to challenge you not to place that on the back burner because it's so important. Notice the fifth, fifth word is hazah. Doesn't look like it's spelled that way, but that's how it's said. And notice how it's used in the text in Psalm 27.4. He says this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Notice that, to behold. The word is behold. It means to look at something intelligently, to perceive, to see experientially. The action here is progressive. David is taking it all in. The beauty of God, what he's saying is this, intelligently look at the beauty of who God is, all of his attributes, perceive it, and then experience it. That's what the word means. He says to look at the beauty of God in an intelligent way. That means you know God and the attributes of God because you study God. Then you perceive it, you understand it, and then you experience it. Moses said this when he was praying in Psalm 90, 17. Let the beauty of our Lord, our God, be upon us. Let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us. And I would say this, who is God to you? How well do you know God? One of the best ways to deal with difficulties of this life is to focus on the beauty of our Lord. Listen to what uh, one lady wrote about her husband after he died. They were younger, probably my age or younger. And listen to the maturity in this lady's voice, or in this lady's words as she wrote this about her husband who died of cancer. And, and understand, the only reason she could write this is because she intelligently knew who God was. She perceived who God was. She understood that, and then she experienced that in her own life, the beauty of the Lord. She says this, One thing I've become convinced of is that God has different definitions for words than I do. For example... He, do, he does work all things for my eternal good and His eternal glory, but His definition of good is different than mine. My good would never include cancer and young widowhood. My good would include healing and dying together in our sleep when we were in our 90s. But cancer was good because of what God did that He couldn't do any other way. Cancer was, in fact, necessary to make Bob and me look more like Jesus. So in love, God allowed what was best for us in light of eternity. This, this word, I, I thought about this word when I remembered uh, something Charles Stanley said in a sermon. He talked about when he first went to First Baptist Atlanta and became pastor, that there was a lot of people in the church that didn't want him to be pastor. I don't think the vote was like a really high vote, but it was enough for him to be pastor. And he said there was a godly older lady who was much older than him at the time in the church. I don't know if she taught Sunday school or was just known as a good godly lady. And he said he went to her house and he started complaining to her about all his fears. And he said that she had, in her house she had a picture, and you can Google this. It's a very uh, kind of famous picture that you can get anywhere. It's a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. The lions are behind him, and Daniel's at the window just looking out this way, doing this. And I don't know if the lights were flashing like they are in here, but he was just looking out this way. This is Daniel. The lions are behind him. And Charles said whenever he finished talking, the lady was really quiet. She said she took him by the arm. And she took him over to the picture and said, I want you to look at that picture. What do you see? And he says, well, that's very familiar. He's, he said, that's Daniel in the lion's den. And she said, I want to ask you a question. 
is Daniel looking at the lines or is he looking at the Lord? And Charles said, it looks like he's looking at the Lord. And she said, why don't you get your eyes off your problems and start focusing on Jesus and just trust him with what happens next? That's played out vividly in my, my life probably a few months ago when I went to hospice. And I went into hospice and a dear sweet lady and a sweet family whom I love dearly. I've known them for a long time. And when you pastor the, a church in your own community, uh, you just have friends that die. And I remember walking into this hospice room thinking, what words do you have for this family? And this one thought came, came to my mind. I told this family and that lady, just look to Jesus. Just look at him. Just focus on him. Trust in him. Believe in him. You've served him your whole life and he has not failed you and he will not fail you now. To look at something intelligently, to perceive it, and then to experience it. There's going to come a day, my friends, when there's going to be nobody but Jesus in your life. Do you know him? Do you really know him? I'm not talking about in a very elementary Sunday school fashion. Do you know him? Because in those moments of your life, whether it's you or a loved one on that bed, you're going to want to look to Jesus and experience it and have a relationship with him. That's what David is talking about in this last word. Notice the last word, bakar. What that means is, it means, it means to break through, if you'll show the meaning of the word, to inquire. Look at the word inquire. And then notice the meaning of the words in the Hebrew. It means to plow through, to break through. It means to study. It means you studied so much that you broke through. You meditated so much that you broke through. And you have an understanding. Because Christianity is an intelligent religion. Our faith is based on historical facts. This is a history, historical book. And, and what you know matters so much. And when David uses this word to plow, to break through, to break free... He's talking about being in God's house and he's digging to find out more about who God is. It's almost like he's studying for the priesthood. And what that would challenge me to do is that every time I come to church or come to Sunday school and the Word of God is open, that I'm studying for the ministry. I'm studying for the ministry. When I first, uh, the Lord first saved me, the only thing I knew to do was take out a pencil or take out a pen and have a notepad and I'd just take notes. Thousands of notes I had before the Lord, Lord ever called me in ministry. Had no thoughts of ever being in the ministry. But I just want to know who the Lord was, what Christianity was about, and who Jesus was. Just wanted to know that. Just want to know. That's what David is saying here. When I'm in your temple, I'm going to plow through, and God, I'm begging to know you more and more and more and more. And one scholar says this. When you read some of David's psalms about thirsting after God, he says by the time he gets to Psalm 27, these, these verbs are more intense they're more personal. It's almost like David over his life is maturing in his relationship with Jesus. Why? Because he desired one thing. He beheld the Lord. Because he, he, he plowed through and he studied and he got to know who this God was. I think that's why in Acts 13.3, God, speaking of David, says this, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Christians, I would encourage you to draw close to God and become transformed by Him. No one will make you do what Psalm 27.4 says. It has to be in your heart to do it. No one can give that to you. No one can make you do that. But you have as much of God as you want in your life. 
The Lord's brother said this, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. But it all starts with this. What or who is number one in your life? What is the one thing you can't live without? What is the one thing that's going to get you up out of bed in the morning? What is the one thing that you spend your money on and your time on and your thoughts are on that one thing? I pray in my heart for you that it's Jesus. Because if it is, there's nothing in your life that you can't face because you know him and you, and you experience him in an intelligent, Christ-like way. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, I'm sure that there are some people watching online you're not number one in their life because they've never placed their faith and trust in you. They've never repented and placed their faith in you. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, even now, that they would surrender their lives to you, the resurrected Lord and Savior, King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, for those of us that know you, the question I can't answer for anybody else is this. What is the one thing in your life? What is number one? What is number one? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto us. Lord, I don't know, and a lot of things are out of my control. I think we've really understood that in a deeper way since this pandemic has started. But there's one thing I can control, and that's my relationship with you. Whether things are good or things are bad, whether I'm healthy or whether I'm sick, I pray that you'll always be the one thing, the first thing in my life. And I pray that that's the prayer of everyone listening today. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for your word. Lord, there's nothing like this book. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen.